August 13th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and it is definitely draft season. You know it's draft season because the FFPC early slot deadline is the end of today as we record this, Jared, on the 13th. Register your main event lineup today at myffpc.com. You will find out your draft slot this Thursday, the 15th. That's going to give you a leg up on your competition, and it's going to let you know which path to follow in our pick-by-pick perfect draft series that hits DraftSharks.com Wednesday. Yeah, it was it was actually nice to get into those, though, and sort of get out of best ball drafting strategy mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe start leaning towards early wide receivers, maybe not have to worry about getting two quarterbacks in the first, you know, 12 rounds or whatever. So <laughs> it felt, felt kind of good. They're always beefy, but I, I know the people love them. Yeah, and I was able to get a, a head start on them with a weekend away from the kids so that nice. I'm not <laughs> working on them at 2 in the morning this time. <laughs> so that was certainly nice as well. Go to myffpc.com today to register your main event team. Add more entries. You take advantage of their multi-team discount. That can save you a few hundred dollars. And, of course, check out the multiple FFPC-style draft recaps that we have available on DraftSharks.com right now. It can't hurt to see what some other people are drafting like. There are other draft boards out there. I know we've shared links to the way some of our drafts have gone mm-hmm. and the the podcast that we did from Hall of Fame weekend. So there's info out there. We're looking to help you win money in FFPC. On today's show, we're going to do a bit of reacting, possibly some overreacting to the first full round of preseason games, along with the surrounding camp reports. We're looking into guys who are trending up, trending down, and we're going to kind of work alongside Jared's preseason notes article that is currently a free read on DraftSharks.com. Yeah, and that'll remain free. I'll do that for the next two weeks of preseason or two. I just wanted to start, though, just talking about preseason in general and sort of what to take away from it. I think some people think it means nothing. Some people think it means too much. I think, you know, somewhere in between is the correct answer. And I think what we really want to look for is usage. Same thing we look for in training camp, you know, who who's playing with the starters. And in the first week, especially, it can be tough because a lot of guys aren't even playing at all. You have like first and second teams getting mixed in together. So just be careful. I mean, I know we moved maybe a handful of guys in their rankings based on the first week of preseason. And a lot of those guys were, you know, farther down the rankings, just kind of getting some guys up from the, from the depths into a range where maybe you're considering them with one of your last few picks. Yeah, dismissing it is wrong. Dissecting it too much is wrong. I think it's impo- I think it's important to pay attention and to take everything in context. You know, you don't want to like overrate anybody who has an 80-yard rushing day, right. but you also don't want to ignore somebody who has a big performance. And you don't want to uh, say this guy played more with the first team, this guy didn't play at all, so the guy who played more is obviously in better standing. You know, the Terry McLaurin yeah. uh, example that we're going to get to in a few minutes is a good one. He played one snap and Maybe that's a good thing. It seems like it. Maybe it's with somebody else. It's a worrisome thing. It's important to take all of these things in their appropriate context. Yeah, and I think on the opposite side, playing too much can be a bad thing, which right. you know, I think we'll talk about with Dante Pettis maybe. But on the other hand, playing a lot couldn't <laughs> give you the chance to show what you have. And maybe the next week you're kind of in where everybody's hoping you're going to be. We're going to get to more of the specific guys here, though. And let's start with uh, probably your favorite performer from the weekend, right? Yeah, probably the most impressive guy I saw was David Montgomery. And, and really, he looked like the guy we saw at Iowa State, which is just nice when you see it translate from the college game to the pros. Montgomery looked like he belonged. You know, It wasn't too big for him. We saw the nice touchdown run with a cutback. He looked comfortable in the passing game, had a long 
screen catch for a, for a you know, 20 something yard gain. Important to note too, though, that Mike Davis got the start, played the entire first series, and then Montgomery came in. So that's you know sort of what we see with these rookies. You're not going to come in the first preseason game and, and get the start. Um, but but I thought Montgomery looked good, maybe too good though, because he's probably just going to keep rising up ADP. I, I am hoping that he keeps rising because I'm not. I, I'm still not drafting him at cost. I'm a little bit more interested now after a, a good first performance. But I mean, I don't think it was unexpected. He was he was fine. It's not like he blew everybody away. He looked good. But I do think it's important to note that Mike Davis played first. Tariq Cohen didn't play at all, and that when. David Montgomery came to the game. He came in along with Chase Daniel. So we'll see where he goes from here. There are already people more excited about him. And my knock on David Montgomery is that I don't think he's going to see the regular week-to-week work that a lot of people seem to be projecting for him. Right. I, I truly believe the Bears' plan is to have Mike Davis involved. I think the upside with Montgomery comes that he's just you know so good, so productive, that he mm-hmm. sort of casts Mike Davis aside. Even in that case, though, Tree Cohen is not going to go away because he, he's a different type of player. He's been super efficient in the passing game. So, you know, I don't think Montgomery's pass catching upside is beefy enough to make him an early fourth round pick, which is where he's going in drafts over the past few days now. Right. There's definitely upside. If he were settled in round five, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I'll take a little bit of David Montgomery there, but he's been consistently early round four. I have seen him multiple times mm-hmm. get into round three, and I don't think that's going to change, especially if he's looking good in preseason games. So not my guy. I, I get it uh, a little bit more now that he started playing. Yeah, I, I have not drafted Montgomery a single time, which I hate. <laughs> right. But so like, I, you know, he's, he just, he's just going too early. Chris Carson is a guy who seems to be trending up, and maybe that's not even necessarily trending up among drafters. I haven't checked his ADP to see, but I don't think, it, just anecdotally, I don't think he has risen significantly lately. It, he he feels to me like a guy trending up, though, because I was starting to, I, I don't know, if downplay him for myself a little bit and wonder if Rashad Penny was just going to overtake him, and now that we've gotten into camp, and through week one of the preseason, Chris Carson is starting to build up the more buzz, starting mm-hmm. to get those reports that saying, yes, he's he's still clearly the top back for Seattle. And the latest is Pete Carroll saying that Chris Carson's definitely going to catch the ball more this year. Yeah, we had that little soundbite from Carroll. We had Brian Schottenheimer say that we need to get Chris Carson more involved in the passing game. Um, he's been getting used in the passing game in training camp, getting split out wide, according to some of the beat writers there. Uh, it does look like Carson is rising, though. I, I have him at 45th overall over the past three days, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's late fourth round. I feel like I've been getting him in the fifth round a lot. I, I think late fourth round is still fair. He might mm-hmm. even be a value there. He's still going ahead of David Montgomery, for example. And, and until Carson passes Montgomery, I, I'm not taking Montgomery he's going over behind Chris Carson. Montgomery right now. Chris Carson is still going behind Montgomery yeah. Yeah, by five picks. Yeah, so I agree. I'm taking Carson over David Montgomery. And, you know, they both play in backfields where they're going to share, but so do most guys around the league right now. And Seattle is going to remain, if not the most run-heavy, then certainly one of the few most run-heavy teams in the league. And even if Rashad Penny is ready to pick up the big chunk, we've talked about it a lot. There's plenty of room for Rashad Penny to take on what Mike Davis had last year and for Chris Carson to stay that lead back that he was. Yeah, to me, the biggest difference is there's no Tariq Cohen in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Um. Elsewhere in the Seattle offense, I think it's worth noting that Carson didn't play in the preseason opener. Rashad Penny did. So I, that maybe that speaks to him coming off the knee surgery, but I think it probably speaks to him more being a known commodity. Uh, he didn't play. Russell Wilson didn't play. Tyler Lockett didn't play. And Jerron Brown didn't play, interestingly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Seattle knows who they have in John Brown. Like, you know, he, he's kind of, I, I think he's the insurance policy if DK Metcalf isn't ready. Mm-hmm. Um, R- Rashad Penny to me is one of those guys who almost played 
more than I'd like to see. Um, I, I think Seattle still isn't quite sure what they have in him or they want him to, you know, be more refined, get more comfortable in the offense, whatever it is. But I think I think Penny still has uh, something to prove to that coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any problem with it because he didn't play a ton last year. And I've, you want a guy to round into form now when the games don't count rather than through the first three weeks of the season. Could be, yep. Next guy on the trending upside, Curtis Samuel. And I mean, this has been an sure. off-season long thing, but the hype just won't quit. Every week there, there are multiple more writers saying things like he's ready for a breakout season. He's the best-looking wide receiver in camp. He's up even further in ADP, Mm -hmm. up to mid-round seven on Draft.com over the past few days. At this point, I don't think you should expect Curtis Samuel to last beyond round seven, especially if he does play in the next exhibition game or two and makes even just a single big play. Let's go back and just like look at Samuel as a player. So he he was he was a running back and wide receiver at Ohio State. You know, had a ton of carries. Like backed up Zeke Elliott in Elliott's final year there. I was going back and reading the prospect profile I wrote on him, and I you know we weren't sure at that time whether he was going to be a running back or a wide receiver. So I think it makes sense that you know even in his what his third year now, you know he's still improving quite a bit as a wide receiver, still learning to play the position. So it's not a surprise. We've seen some beaters even saying now that you know they think Samuel is the number one wide receiver in Carolina over DJ Moore. Yeah, and to me that that seems I don't know going a little bit far in your projection as a writer. I mean, I guess that's what you're there for. Yep. But I don't know if that if that just speaks to one being more exciting in camp or one being more of a focal point. I'm still going to bet on DJ Moore between them. It, the gap is closed. It's Curtis Samuel at wide receiver 33 about right now. DJ Moore right about wide receiver 22. W- which one are you buying more at those two prices? It's so tough for me because I loved, loved DJ Moore coming out last year, and he had a really impressive rookie season by you know, a lot of metrics. So, yeah, I'm with you. I would still bet on more finishing with more fantasy points, more targets. I think they're both kind of fairly priced right now. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, jumping over myself to get either one of them. I think if either drops, you know, a bit below where they're going, I'll definitely take them. My biggest takeaway, though, is though I, I want Cam Newton. If I miss on Carson Wentz and, you know, say the eighth round, I'll gladly pivot to Cam Newton and make him my top quarterback target. Yeah, I agree. And even if you hadn't been thinking about Cam Newton, if you are liking DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, but you don't necessarily want to pay up for them, Cam Newton's the nice way to to buy into both of them. Because if either one is terrific this year, Cam Newton's going to be all right. And if they're both terrific, then Cam Newton's going to be better than all right. And he still has that Christian McCaffrey guy who's, you know, pretty good (laughs) pass catching back. Yeah. So I, I agree. I'm not jumping at Samuel. I'm not jumping at Moore. They're both in range where I would consider them where they come up. I do think that Moore is still the safer bet because he's been the truer wide receiver coming into the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had the market share numbers in college and then backed it up with the testing numbers that we liked. So I would try not to take the Samuel buzz as a knock on DJ Moore. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Jamison Crowder is next on the list, and Connor Hughes of The Athletic says he's going to be a reception animal this year <laughs> who could creep near or past 100 catches. I yeah, assume, B-Rider projection alert. I assume that a reception <laughs> animal has Wes Welker's face, right? Uh, yeah, that's 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 what a reception animal looks like. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'll always be careful with the B-Rider projections. I, the takeaway is that, you know, Crowder has probably looked good in camp. He's probably been busy in camp. Um, we, probably we catches saw, a lot of the balls that come his way. Yes, and and we you know it was an encouraging preseason opener for him. He was on the field for all seven of Sam Darnold's snaps on the, you know, the first drive of that game. Was targeted on two of Darnold's five pass attempts and caught one of them for the touchdown. So yeah, I'm I'm definitely buying that he's 
a value for where he's going in drafts right now. Yeah, uh, Crowder has climbed around in recent drafting, but that still only puts him late in round 13. He's in the bottom of wide receiver five territory and really on the fringe of that mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of cases. So the, you're not risking anything. So if you're saying, well, Jameson Crowder, you mean that guy that was hurt both of the last two years right. when I thought he was going to be Washington's lead receiver? Yeah, that guy. But now you don't have to take him in the sixth or seventh round. You don't have to take him at Jarvis Landry level. You take him way down low. He's your fifth or sixth wideout. And if he busts for health or any other reason, then you really are losing nothing. And the upshot is, with the Jets, we have Robbie Anderson projected for the most targets too, but he might not finish with the most targets. There's a chance that Crowder out-targets him. Yeah, and we've heard good things about Anderson. You know, he's expanding his route tree this year and stuff. But to date so far, he's really, you know, he hasn't been a high-volume receiver. He's even more of that big play downfield threat it's definitely definitely possible that Crowder leads the Jets in targets this season yeah, and then the double digit rounds of most drafts you're not taking a this guy is definitely going to do this what you're looking for is this guy could do this because we're shooting for upside down there yep Terry McLaurin speaking of shooting for upside played the aforementioned one snap in the preseason opener apparently that was all Washington needed to see Jay Gruden says that was by design he has said that McLaurin is one of the better players in camp and a direct quote from a SiriusXM interview said, I didn't know he was this good. <laughs> it's to the point where Jay Gruden doesn't want him to get on special teams as much. So even though Terry McLaurin was not a starter on the initial unofficial depth chart, finger quotes, there's a chance he could be a starter level player by early in the season. Yeah, the, the whole playing one snap thing is strange. Like, I don't know why he, you know, either, either play at least a series or, or don't play at all. But I take it as a positive. You know, they, they want to keep this guy protected. Gruden's seen enough. I can't get that interview from Gruden in The Athletic out of my head where he, he just gushed about McLaren for like an entire like paragraph. And then he was asked about Josh Doxson and, and, and uh, Paul Richardson and said like they're, they're fine. They're doing fine. <laughs> I think Gruden loves this kid McLaren. And he obviously has the speed, the big play pop. He has the chemistry too with Dwayne Haskins. And we'll talk about Haskins. He's maybe not going to be under center come week one. But um, either way, McLaren is... In line to play a pretty, pretty big role right out of the gate, I think. Yeah, I'll be watching McLaurin and see if he plays more the next two preseason weeks. I, I can see where it's a good thing if he plays one snap in the first one. Mm-hmm. If he barely plays in the second or third and I don't get to see what he's doing, I, I'm not going to sure. be getting too excited about him. But end of draft stash, you know, where you're taking somebody so that you don't have to try to bid on them in the first two weeks on the waiver wire. I can certainly see that. And I think that mm-hmm. part of Jay Gruden's excitement is probably that he's got a wide receiver with juice now. <laughs> yeah. You know, Doxon has busted. Paul Richardson's fine, as he's saying, but yeah. he's been, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. and He's basically a downfield threat. So, you know, kind of like with Jamison Crowder, this is a, a wide receiver core where it could go in any number of directions. Yeah, and Doxon, by the way, is the guy who it sounds like McLaurin's taking his spot. So I think Richardson is still in the right. mix as like a late, late round flyer. Doxon's the guy that's sort of off the radar at this point for me, at least. Yeah, and that would be my guess too. And with where they're both going, you can take right. Trey Quinn and Terry McLaurin. You don't have to choose between them and yep. see which one of them proves to be reliable if they do in fantasy. Yeah, not that you want to load up on too many Redskins, but right. they're going late enough where it's okay. Now... The thing that might give you pause is Dwayne Haskins had a, a rough first outing in the preseason, not the end of the world. 8 of 14, 117 yards, two interceptions. Uh, came into the game after Case Keenum. Jay Gruden has since said that he is chasing Case Keenum and Colt McCoy on the depth chart still. So I think we've all been assuming since positive spring reports that Dwayne Haskins would be the inevitable week one starter. 
it's definitely not inevitable at this point. Maybe yeah. he does start out the season behind Case Keenum. Yeah, definitely possible. I, I thought Haskins was okay besides the two interceptions, and the two interceptions obviously are no small thing. That's going to keep a rookie off the field if he's turning the ball over. Haskins shouldn't have been in your draft plans anyways outside mm-hmm. of you know two quarterback leagues, but I think for the receivers, it'd be better if you know he sort of flashed something and, and gave the passing game more upside than, than, you know, than it's going to have with Case Keenum. That said, it also might be better if Washington is not just putting in the first round pick because he's the first round pick and they want to see what they got and they are playing the guy who's at least you know is decent and experienced in the NFL in case Keenum I I I think if it is Keenum that that it's going to make me like Trey Quinn more we've seen Keenum love his slot receivers he's not you know an aggressive passer so it sort of suits a slot guy like Trey Quinn a bit better than someone like McLaren you should just like Trey Quinn either way I do I do Daniel Jones next on the list because he took all his critics and told him to shut up with his first <laughs> performance. Five of five, 67 yards, and a nice touchdown throw to Benny Fowler. I, I was impressed. Yeah, he, he was just, he was accurate and, and looked comfortable in the offense. Um, you know, we didn't see the athleticism really, but we know he has that. So to me, the sooner Jones gets in for the Giants, the, the better it is. You know, we're, we're all, I think we've all seen what we need to see out of Eli Manning at this point. Yeah, I don't think that any of us would argue that there's more upside for anybody in the offense to starting Eli Manning than to starting Daniel Jones. The question is when Pat Shermer feels yeah. comfy enough Sitting the New York legend, Eli Manning, and his two Super Bowl rings. I hope that it's sooner than later because not only do I think Daniel Jones gives the wide receivers a bit more upside, I think his mobility gives him some Josh Allen appeal from last year where mm-hmm. he could deliver in fantasy even if he's not very good in real life. Yep, totally. And I think you know a couple more performances like that from Jones in the preseason would definitely put some pressure on Shermer to make a move. Mm-hmm. Let's just hope that Eli Manning comes out at some point and says, okay, coach, it's, I'm done. It's time. Put in the kid. Yeah. Dontrell Hilliard is next on the list. And uh, nothing particular about his performance, I don't think. Nine carries, 19 yards, three catches for 34 yards, and five targets before halftime in that game. But um, since then, we've also had a report from the team website. Well, not a report, but I guess a, more of a projection that maybe Dontrell Hilliard could step into yeah. Duke Johnson's spot. Yeah, it was, it was an entire article on the Browns website about Hilliard. And, and yeah, basically, you know, his pass catching ability and potentially stepping into Duke Johnson's role. I, you know, the, the biggest takeaway from the first preseason game is that Hilliard got in on Baker Mayfield's one possession, you know, with the first mm-hmm. team offense on that drive, Nick Chubb had one carry and one target, but Hilliard had two targets from Baker Mayfield, caught them both for 28 yards. So, you know, that it sure seems like he's at least, you know, some part of the plan. I don't think he's going to take all of what Duke Johnson saw. I think Nick Chubb is going to see an expanded role in the passing game, but, but anything Hilliard takes definitely hurts Chubb a bit. And you have to assume by the fact that they finally decided to trade Duke Johnson that some of that is related to Hilliard since they're not going to have Kareem Hunt for half the season. Yeah, we, we, we heard that. I don't remember who it came from, but you know, someone did say that part of the reason the Browns felt okay mm-hmm. trading Duke was because you know they liked what they had seen from Hilliard in camp. I thought it was interesting, and I didn't look into whether it was coaching changes at Tulane, but I thought it was interesting that Hilliard yeah. caught fewer passes every season of his college career started with 30 as a freshman and then declined from there to single digits each of his final two seasons yeah I'm not sure about the coaching change I know he missed some time in his final two seasons I'm sure that had something to do with it but I mean if a guy catches 30 balls as a freshman I think it shows he can do it Mm -hmm. yeah it's there Preston Williams for the right. Dolphins. Why don't you go ahead and talk to us about Preston Williams? Like, I mean, Two it, of the best catches of the week, I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Williams might have even been the most impressive skill position guy of the preseason. All of his stuff came you know, later in the game against mm-hmm. backups, but the guy looks the part. I mean, he's 6'4", 211 pounds. 
had the huge season at Colorado State. You know, I sort of followed Michael Gallup as Colorado State's lead receiver. 96 catches, uh, 14 touchdowns last season. Went undrafted due to off-field issues, but it looks like Miami got a good player here. He had been buzzing throughout training camp. Still no higher than fourth on the depth chart, maybe even lower than that. So has some depth chart climbing to do. But um, when it's Devontae Parker and Albert Wilson, who's still coming back from an injury, there's definitely opportunity for to, for Williams to carve out a role, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's really just a dynasty note at this point. I don't think Preston Williams is going to be a redraft factor in 2019, but that wide receiver depth chart does give him earlier upside than he might have in other places. And even though he didn't start the game, did come in the second quarter, came in with Josh Rosen, mm-hmm. so it's not like he was a third, fourth quarter player. Team high four targets in the first half, team high five targets for the game. Nice performance. You like to see him build on that. But Preston Williams is somebody who should be owned in pretty much all Dynasty Leagues at yes, this point, I would yeah, say. Yeah, for sure. On the other side of that game is Ito Smith. And uh, not a great performance in that game. He's going to start our downtrenders. Four carries, seven yards. Did have a three-yard touchdown run. Zero targets. At least as notable, though, Kadri Allison, Brian Hill, each also had touchdown runs. Allison, 41 yards on eight carries. Hill, 23 yards on eight carries. And Dan Quinn has been sending signals that this is not Devontae Freeman, Ito Smith, and then the other guys. He said recently it's a different kind of shared role behind Devontae Freeman. There have been talks about the other backs behind Freeman kind of playing to their strengths and being mixed and matched to situations. So I've been off Ito Smith all offseason. Certainly nothing's changing for me here. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts dropping down draft boards. Yeah, and we've talked about how Ito Smith was – Nothing special last year. Brian Hill actually had a nice week 17. The Falcons spent a draft pick on Olsen, you know, which isn't in, insignificant. So I, I think the takeaway for me is that Devontae Freeman is in for a big workload, pro- probably bigger than you know he, he saw the past few years with Tevin Coleman there. And then if you're looking for a handcuff, there really don't. is <laughs> not one right now, and, and there might not be. Yeah, I don't target a handcuff in Atlanta unless you're playing in a really deep league where – you know, yeah. you're picking from everybody's handcuffs. Then I guess maybe you take the one if you drafted Freeman. But don't target one in, in regular size drafts, I would say. Yep. Antonio Brown, he, it, he lost his helmet grievance, no surprise. But then he did react by saying he's looking forward to joining his teammates. There were reports today from, you know, all the main NFL-wide reporters that he's coming back to his team, that we will see him practice soon, as soon as his feet are ready. So I guess, how are you treating Antonio Brown now that we're Kind of, we're probably through the storm. Yeah, I mean, at least we know he's not going to retire, which which is nice. But besides that, I mean, the whole situation just stinks. I, I kind of want, don't want anything to do with it. I wasn't interested in him even before all this stuff happened, just with a downgrading quarterback, learning a new offense. You know, Brown probably past his prime. You know, he's still a good player, but I don't think he's what he was at his peak. He, he has dropped an ADP. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's going 304 over the last three days, which is you know about a half round later than he had been going. But he'd have to get into the fourth for me to be interested. I mean, I, I'm taking T.Y. Hilton, both Vikings guys, Amari Cooper over Antonio Brown at this point. I'm interested in the third. I don't. I wouldn't take Amari Cooper over An- Antonio Brown every time. I, I would probably split my shares between them if I were if I were choosing. And I think Antonio Brown's a lot more interesting in the third than he was in the second. You know, because there's a little bit less of the downside risk there. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he just stays in round three because mm-hmm. nobody's excited about the Raiders. And once you start getting the inkling of this is something to worry about with him, the words have gotten more negative on the situation. People have been more down on Antonio Brown since. I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay in round three for the rest of draft season. I, I wouldn't either. I um, mean, if he gets back on the field soon, I'd be more interested. But, I mean, the guy is 
practice once in all of training camp. And, I mean, I know he's a veteran, but it's a brand-new offense with a brand-new quarterback. I think he does need some reps here. Yeah, I mean, certainly some reps, but he's uh, he would be near the top of the board for guys I'm trusting no matter how much practice time he's had. I don't trust anything about AB right now. <laughs> Not even the blonde mustache. <laughs> I guess he got rid of that one. Yeah. Mitchell Trubisky, speaking of guys to trust. Um, so I don't think there's anything noteworthy from a performance where he didn't even throw a pass, but it sounds like his camp was anywhere from rough to maybe inconsistent if you're being more optimistic. Mm-hmm. So I guess... The question for him is going to be, how much does this really matter? I don't think even yeah. even you as a Mitchell Trubisky, as the staff Mitchell Trubisky fan, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think even you would say, well, I think he's a very good quarterback. So I don't know how right. much this matters to his actual fantasy value. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, with the training camp stuff, I'd say a couple things. He, one, he's going against maybe the best defense in the NFL on a daily basis. Two, I, I've seen these um, interviews with Matt Nagy talking about how they've actually been asking Trubisky to take more risks, kind of see what he can get away with as a passer. I think they want him to be more aggressive. Then, you know, once we get into when game, when things start to count, maybe they, you know, rein him back a little bit. Um, but even beyond that, I mean, to hit his ceiling, he needs to improve as a passer. You know, if, he, mm-hmm. if he's going to finish as a top five quarterback this year. But, I mean, again, you know, he was quarterback 13 in points per game mm-hmm. last year, largely because of that rushing ability, and I don't think that's going away. So I'm hoping we see him more in the preseason, you know, maybe – get an extended look at him because I think training camp can, you know, sometimes move us in the wrong direction. But it's obviously not what I, you ideally want to be hearing about, you know, this young quarterback who you're hoping takes a step forward this season. Here are the two. Well, I, first of all, I think the Bears offense might be a little overrated in general off of last year where they did a much better job scoring touchdowns than they did actually moving the ball. So yep. they're going to either need to get better at moving the ball or there's going to be some touchdown aggression to make them not look as good. But here are the two things that scare me about Metro Trubisky in either direction. On one hand... I take him over somebody who's been steadier, and I I feel like Mitchell Trubisky is going to be a bigger week-to-week risk that he just implodes in a game and throws three picks, even though it's a matchup that he should have been able to exploit. On the other hand, what I'm concerned about is that I pass on him completely, mm-hmm. and he ends up being fine. You know, nothing special, but fine as a passer. He throws like 26 touchdown passes and continues to run the ball efficiently, and he finishes like 12th, like a Blake Bortle-style 12th. Does have some big weeks because of the mix of rushing and passing, and he's a good fantasy quarterback even if he doesn't get any better in real life. So I, I can't quit him completely. I also can't get all the way behind him. He's just in an uncomfy yeah. spot in my rankings. It's funny you mentioned Bortles because that, like, at the end of this season, we might look back and say, you know, Trubisky is Bortles. You know, he, yeah. he's not going to be enough a quarterback. Even in that case, though, he could still have, you know, been okay for fantasy. I just, I think the weekly ceiling he gives you is definitely what you want in best ball. And even in lineup setting leagues, like when you're getting into where he's going in drafts, which is, you know, like quarterback 15 to 18 usually, um, you know, I, I want the guy with upside because I'm probably just mm-hmm. going to be playing matchups anyways. Um, right. And if Trubisky can be okay enough where I can at least trust them against bad defenses. That, that's sort of what you want. Yeah. I'm going to, I keep overreacting one way or the other on Trubisky. I, I will just, I'll say I'll go ahead and take him when he's sliding. If we're talking about like QB 16 range or lower, mm-hmm. I would rather have Mitchell Trubisky than Josh Allen, for example. Cause even though I don't think either of them will be very good real life wise, I think I can predict Mitchell Trubisky's fantasy stat performance better than I will be able yeah. to Josh Allen's. And even for me, like someone like Philip Rivers, um, you know, obviously he's much safer, but I, I just, I like that, 
you know, ceiling Trubisky's going to bring mm-hmm. on a week-to-week basis. Give me Phillip Rivers, the perennial <laughs> top yeah, 11 yeah. quarterback. He might, you know, I, I'll say between them, there's a better chance that Trubisky is QB6 at the end of the season maybe, but Rivers is just like a blanket. I'll, I'll take yeah. that, I'll curl and up on the couch, and I'll enjoy some Netflix. And like in a best league, that's probably the type of guy you want to pair Trubisky with. You know, right. just have Rivers to give you that, you know, 15 to 20 point like floor weekly, and then you get the spike weeks out of Trubisky. Mm-hmm. Dante Pettis, on the other hand, I feel comfy saying that I'm out on at this point. I really wasn't high on him heading yeah. into the season. Had him outside the top 36. Weren't high on him heading into the league last year. It wasn't a college profile that makes you fall in love with the guy. Right. Mediocre production, both raw numbers and market share. Um, I, I didn't love the tape, but I, I started to get sucked in when, you know, Kyle Shanahan spends a second round pick on this guy. Pettis did flash down the stretch last season. And we heard, you know, mostly good things in the, in the spring, you know, just that he was looking like the team's number one wide receiver. So I, I sort of came up on, on Dante Pettis and I, I'm sort of regretting it at this point. Um, so I think he's, you know, sort of proving to be the player closer to the player I thought he was coming into the league. Yeah. So, and I think that what you don't, what do you worry about in this range when you start getting negative or positive reports and, and worrying about whether you're overreacting either way? Dante Pettis, I'm more willing to just drop him significantly because I don't think that if all these prove like too dramatic, I don't think we're going to miss out on something big. I don't think he's going to have Allen Robinson's season mm-hmm. from Jacksonville several years ago. I yeah. think if Dante Pettis has a really good year, he finishes like wide receiver 24. I'm okay with giving up the shot at that in the mid-30s when I think that he could just as easily finish the season as wide receiver 48. Right, never projected to be a target hog. I mean, he's just not that type of player. George Kittle's there. More targets going to the running backs this season. They have these rookies, Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd, who flashed in the first preseason game. Marquise Goodwin's still there, who, you know, Evidently is locked into one of the starting <laughs> spots, which I think yeah, I feel like everyone's sort of forgot about Mar- Marquise Goodwin. So yeah, I agree. I think Pettis Pettis's ceiling doesn't extend higher than like wide receiver twenty four. I think I probably feel better about George Kittle where he's going now than I did mm-hmm. two months ago. Otherwise, I'm taking the Niners receiver at the end of the draft. I'm not overly committing to anybody. I'm probably most interested in Debo Samuel because it seems like Kyle Shanahan wants him to be a starter, and like Debo Samuel looks like the kind of player who could be a starter. I, I like, right. I'm excited about Jalen Hurd, too, but Jalen Hurd spent one season at wide receiver in college. would be expecting a little much for him to be not just an NFL starter, but also relevant quickly in the NFL. Yeah, I agree. I, I had sort of completely written Hurd off for this season, but you know mm-hmm. his, his performance in that preseason opener at least has him on my radar now. And we have to see... Who the 49ers are gonna, you know, have replaced Trent Taylor as their slot guy. Taylor has has the broken foot and is, is likely gonna miss the start of the season. We'll see how many games he misses. But you know, someone's gonna take over that slot job that he had. So Hurd's on my radar. Debo Samuel, I am already heavily invested in. I'll, I'll continue to draft him if he's gonna keep going as late as he has been. Yeah, and it's because of the range that he's going in. You're not yes. risking yep. anything. And I'll be curious to see if Richie James starts to get a little bit more uh, run at this point. I, I was hoping that he was going to be more in the mix, but Trent Taylor's healthy return you know, before this had kind of pushed Richie James out of the picture. Yeah, and it was James who started alongside Goodman in the preseason opener. So, you know, for now, I, I think, again, that's that's you know kind of ke- keeping the rookies down for at least the first week of the preseason. I'll be curious to see, though, what the, what the wide receiver core looks like with Garoppolo in the second game. Yeah, all a situation to watch, not one to overly invest in, I would say. Daryl Henderson, speaking of overinvestments, uh, six carries in his first preseason action, 13 yards, one reception for a loss of five yards, and he has since admitted that he's having a little bit of a struggle with the different blocking scheme from what he was used to in college. Mm-hmm. I 
would think that it would make people draft Henderson down where he should be drafted <laughs> right. as opposed to way up where everybody had been. Yeah, I'm not lower on Henderson than, than I was, you know, before this first preseason game. I went back and watched all his carries. He, he had a, one nice run. A bunch of the other ones he, you know, had no chance, was sort of hit behind the line of scrimmage. But yeah, I mean, again, I, I just, I, I've been so low on him that I'm not getting him. I mm-hmm. still think that if Gurley misses time, Malcolm Brown's going to be just as good a bet for touches as Daryl Henderson is. I did take my first Daryl Henderson share. I mean, I probably took some of them back before he actually got drafted. Yeah. But uh, since being drafted by the Rams, I got him at pick 909 as my fifth running back, which that was still where I was like, "Eh, maybe this is a little early, but... I'll stash him there just in case, right. you know, at some point this season, something truly exciting happens with him. Yeah, and that, that's good value because even over the last three days on uh, draft, Henderson's still going right around the seventh, eighth round turn as the 36th running back off the board. So I, I think he's come down a tad, but not nearly enough. Yeah, and I'll say that that was in a lineup setting league. I, I'm still not <laughs> drafting Daryl Henderson at cost on yeah. draft.com uh, or in other best ball drafts. So Yep. Uh, we'll move on now to the Colts wide receiver situation. Paris Campbell in particular, who unfortunately has had a setback with the hamstring injury that has limited his uh, time on the field so mm-hmm. far. And it you know, hurts him, obviously, as a draft prospect. Yeah, I think we're going on like two weeks now that Campbell's been sidelined. And you know, for all the buzz he was creating early in camp, he was still running behind Chester Rogers. And Rogers was playing as the first team slot guy. You know, Campbell, when he's healthy, I don't think it's going to take him long to pass Rogers and, and you know become the Colts' number three wide receiver. But the, the missed practice time definitely not good for a rookie you know if he doesn't get back soon I think he's not going to be a guy that's going to be in our plans early in the season yeah, and even if he's not technically number three he's probably going to be a guy that they involve on a regular basis yeah. see he's pro I think though he's most likely going to be like a two to three catch per game guy this season I'm not buying Paris Campbell right now but he's wide receiver 58 he's yeah. going early round 13 in best ball that's an okay spot if he's your guy in that range. Just ahead of Jamison Crowder, Kenny Stills, Nicole Hardman, Devontae Parker, Mohamed Sanu. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you he's an awful pick in front of those guys. But Devin Funch is still the better value. He's just yeah. a little bit less than a round and a half ahead. So still in the 50s. In between them, Michael Gallup, John Brown, Traquan Smith, Golden Tate. I'm taking all those guys before I'm taking Paris Campbell at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... I... Probably want to mix in some Campbell at that price tag. So then I, again, I do still think if if he gets healthy, um, you know, he, he could be you know at wide receiver forty in ADP by the end of August. So I, I think at this price, he's still a guy I want to get some pieces of. But just straight up, I do prefer like Jamison Crowder, Mohamed Sanu, and definitely uh, Devin Funchess. And I'm certainly more interested in taking some Paris Campbell shares in best ball yeah. than I am in lineup setting. I, d- I don't expect him to get to a point where we're trusting him in weekly lineups yeah, in twelve team fair. leagues. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Kiki Cutie. We'll see if he can get back to the point where he's trustworthy. The problem right now is that he's got an ankle sprain and he's out at least a week was the last word for Bill O'Brien. Yeah, um, I think O'Brien was sort of murky in talking about QD and when he's going to be back. Uh, Dr. David Chow on Twitter thinks it's a high ankle sprain. That's usually a four to six week injury. So I don't even consider QD a lock to be ready for week one. Um, he obviously had all the injury issues last year. You know, th- I don't think these are related, but you know that's that's two years now where we've seen him, you know, deal with these injury problems. And then you factor in Duke Johnson, who I do think is a threat to you know some of those shorter range targets. And QD is a guy I was targeting in like round nine or ten. He he's dropped, you know, for me where you know he'd have to get you know into the eleventh or twelfth before I'm going to consider him at this point. Yeah, the good news he has dropped about a round recently. Wide receiver forty seven as of this morning, and in, in drafts over like the past three days on play draft. 
So I, I think that's an okay range. It's still, you know, you have to decide that you want to take him at that point. And I'm more interested, I would say, on the lineup setting side, where if the ankle is a problem, then I can yeah. replace him. I did take him early in round 10 because I. it's in this range, too, where it's a little early to start grabbing some of the other guys that we like, Jameson Crowder, um, maybe even Devin sure. Funchess. Uh, and it's, like, right behind the truly exciting guys. So it's kind of like, a, all right, I'm a, I'll go ahead and take him and see if I can get somebody else I like next time around. Where are you at with uh, Will Fuller now? Are you coming up on him? Because it's been a lot of positive reports for him out of training camp. Yeah, I've I've leveled out on him. He's still not a target for me, but, I mean, I have no problem with him. I, sure. He's just going to be a little volatile for me in a range where I would rather take Sammy Watkins in kind of a similar bucket. Yep, yeah, I'm moving on Watkins over Fuller, but, yeah, I'm definitely getting Fuller when he gets, you know, to the eighth round. Yeah, if he slides past, he's now somebody that I'm interested in as opposed to letting go to another team. Dallas Goddard is next in the trending down, and really just because he is going to miss the rest of the preseason yeah. with a calf injury, was fine it, in his first game. Yeah, it looks good, both as a pass catcher. Um, I saw a few clips from you know some of the film watchers on Twitter pointing out that he had a few nice blocks as well. I mean, I, I think the guy's really good. Like I think he's already so a top 12 tight end in the NFL. It's just an issue of how much he's going to be, be able to get on the field behind Zach Ertz. I, that's the thing I, I that sucks about the injuries. I kind of wanted to see like in the third preseason game how they used – Ertz and Goddard together and now you know we're not gonna be able to see that until week one Dallas Goddard's problem is the David Montgomery problem though yeah it's he's good and I'm absolutely not going to dispute that Dallas Goddard's good I was disappointed that he was drafted by the <laughs> Eagles for just that reason but there's just not that much opportunity unless Zach Ertz gets hurt the Eagles were one of the most double tight end using teams in the league last year but the only they the Chiefs and the Texans actually used 12 personnel, which is two tight ends on the field at the same time, uh, at least 30% of snaps during the season. That's according to Warren Sharp. So even the team that does it the most mm-hmm. is doing it like one-third of the time. And Dallas Goddard's playing time actually dipped at the end of the last season, including the playoffs. So he's a good player. He's going to sneak in for some touchdowns. Yeah. He's just not going to get consistent enough targets to be useful in fantasy leagues in most cases. Yeah, he's going to be the guy who goes for, you know, four catches, 55 yards, and a touchdown in week four. You put him in your lineup in week five, and he plays, you know, 25% of the snaps, sees two targets. Yeah. It's just going to be frustrating. I think he's fine in best ball, but you know, the issue even then is he, he tends to go too early. Yeah, I think Gerald Everett is what you yeah. want Dallas Goddard to be because Gerald Everett is at least his team's top tight end, and he's right. also playing in an offense that should score plenty of touchdowns. Yep. Broncos running back usage, why don't you hit us up with some notes on that? Yeah, just noteworthy, you know, Joe Flacco played one series. It was actually a pretty long um, series. Of course, Joe <laughs> they, Flacco. They ran a bunch of plays. So we got to see a decent amount of this um, running back timeshare, and it was close to 50-50. Philip Lindsay, four carries, one target with Flacco. Royce Freeman, three carries, one target. Um, the snaps were 7-4 to four in favor of Lindsay. So, you know, Lindsay has his nose ahead right now, but it is, you know, like we've been hearing, I think it's going to be closer to a 50-50 split than it was last year. Good news for Lindsay is Theo Riddick had the, the shoulder injury that's going to keep him out, uh, you know, the first few games of the season. So that, you know, at least helps Lindsay's pass catching projection early on. Yeah, I've gotten to the point where I'm fine with each with where each of them is going. Really, yeah. the offense overall makes me not excited about drafting either one. Yeah, I can't say I've been drafting many of them. Lindsay has dropped a bit, so, you know, he's not egregiously overvalued anymore, but still not right. a guy I'm really targeting. Yeah, he's somebody that I'm looking at if I get to late in round five and I started with a couple of pass catchers and now yeah. it's like, 
I don't love either of these guys, so I'll take the one that was really good last year. Sure. Yeah, even that, I mean, like, you got like, Chris Carson going in the same range. Yeah, if Chris Carson's <laughs> off the board. If Chris right. Carson's still there, I'm easily taking him over Philip Lindsay. Yep. Uh, the Bucks also have a backfield that needs sorting out still. Yep, and sort of same deal here. I think, you know, they're, the Bucks one drive was a bit shorter, but it was Peyton Barber, three carries and one target. Ronald Jones, two carries and one target. You know, Barber got the start. He was the first one on the field, but again, close to a 50-50 split, a, a situation I want nothing to do with. Yeah, even easier. I will absolutely take either Broncos running back well ahead of either Buccaneer. I don't want any Peyton Barber or Ronald yeah. Jones from here to the beginning of the season. Yep. And finally, um, just a note on Mark Andrews. I know you know, a guy a lot of people are into, but he only played six of Lamar Jackson's 16 snaps in the preseason opener. Hayden Hurst also played six. Nick Boyle actually played the most. I think he was up at 10 snaps. You know, he He's the blocking tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Hurst and Andrews, same amount of snaps. Well, you know, it's something to monitor. We'll see if Andrews you know, sort of pulls ahead of Hurst. But 38% of the snaps on a run first offense is not a recipe for, you know, fantasy success for Mark Andrews. And I think this is where context matters because earlier we're talking about how Terry McLaurin only played one snap and maybe that's a good thing, even though he's a rookie. And, you know, there are other guys who were talking about maybe they played too much, but Baltimore's got a young offense. Lamar Jackson's going into his first full season as a starter. That team's going to want him to get reps with the guys that he's going to be trying to throw the ball to in the regular season. So it's just one game. We'll see if it looks different in week two and three of the preseason. But if it keeps being similar playing time splits, that's exactly the concern with Mark Andrews. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we didn't knock Andrews down, but it's definitely not encouraging and nothing to make us think that Andrews is going to pay off the price tag he's he's costing you right now. Yeah, we didn't knock him down because we already have him ranked <laughs> behind where people are drafting him right yeah, now. Yeah, right. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to check out all the draft recaps, our annual Big 3 articles, some fresh sleepers, some overvalued players, some undervalued players, constantly updated rankings, and your customized MVP board, our highly anticipated perfect draft articles, the original of what seems to be getting copied more and more by the year at this point. They're going to hit DraftSharks.com Wednesday and Thursday. PPR is up first, non-PPR right behind that. 10-team, 12-team, 14-team, we got you covered. We're here to get you all set to dominate your draft. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 